0: The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei
1: Amala Retson.
0: Chant and praises are then. From the very beginning all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice without water no ice outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth yet how far we seek, like one in water crying I thirst. Like a child of rich birth wandering poor on this earth we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds in the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and past clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three, straight ahead runs the way. Our form now being no form, and going and returning we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi. How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom. What is there outside us? What is there we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes and this earth where we stand is the pure lotus land and this very body, the body of Buddha Today is day two of our five-day winter-spring online session. It's the 23rd of August 2020. And we're going to uh, take up where we left off yesterday. Um, we're um, reading from uh, Shattering the Great Doubt, the Chan practice of Hua And, uh, Master Shen Yen was saying for a, tri- for a Chan practitioner it is fundamental to reflect, reflect seriously on birth and death. We call this giving rise to the doubt sensation. So we um, just for anybody who wasn't um, listening to show yesterday we've um, been exploring this um, doubt sensation, and particularly reading some passages from another text. Um, this one came from the intern- internet, and it's, it's entitled Great Doubt Getting Stuck and Breaking Through, the Real Koan. And it's by Jeff Shaw, who's a, uh, a Rinzai. Zen teacher Dharma heir of Kado Fukushima. So in in this um, piece, Jeff Shaw talks about how this doubt sensation is is not something that we have to create or think up or be given, but but that it's actually um, a natural thing. He says, he calls it the most natural thing in the world. And he says also that we we put a lot of energy, actually, into trying to avoid this doubt sensation because it is uncomfortable. And he sets out um, three sort of different classes of of um, ways in which we commonly, commonly experience this uh, doubt sensation. And these um, correspond to um, functions of the mind. There's a category, he doesn't actually name them thus, but um, they seem to arrange themselves into these categories. There's the category of cognitive um, formulation of this and he gives example I don't know who I am but then also we can have a, an effective response to our predicament as human beings and then the, the statement might be I'm not at peace or volitional I'm not free and the way in which this this, um, this doubt sensation constellates for us probably has a lot to do with our temperament, our uh, our, our sort of predominant ways of relating to the world. We can also. Um, reformulate these statements as questions Who or what am I? How can I find peace? Why can't I live my values? We could call these questions sort of doubt embryos and Many, many people struggle with these kinds of painful questions, but but relatively few actually nurture those embryos. We see them sometimes addressed in great art, but we don't have to be artists to, to grapple with these things. They there uh, can be taken up in in the art of sitting, and when we do take them up in, in Zen, we, we we channel their energy into our practice. a little bit more from that we didn't read yesterday from Jeff Shaw before we go back to our main text. He says, Zen um, masters such as Dahui, who championed sustained colon introspection or colon inquiry to arouse great doubt, speak of the thousand doubts, the ten thousand doubts, Just One Great Doubt, that's a a quote from Gahwe. Shaw says, such statements are easy to misunderstand. From the outside, it may sound like taking that wicker basket. He had earlier said that sometimes our great doubt feels like a wicker basket in our stomach. It may sound like taking that wicker basket and filling it with all of your doubts. You will never arrive at the great doubt that way. The direction is into the source of your actual doubt, rather than out into an endless increase or proliferation of possible doubts. There is nothing more concrete and immediate, more pressing and urgent, more total and all-encompassing than this great doubt. Eventually, you are the great doubt, and the great doubt is you. In this light, our ordinary doubts are quite abstract, aren't they? The, 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 uh, the nub of this paragraph is this um, statement he makes. The direction is into the source of your actual doubt. So our, our doubt, doubts arise in our, in our sitting. Where do they come from? We heard Darkwei say, take the backward step. Go back from our 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 thoughts and feelings. Trace back. Where do they where do they arise? It was Korean Master Chinel who said that we could trace back the radiance. Go into the source of your actual doubt. In sustained practice, allow yourself to settle into this doubt, this genuine hunger, rather than escaping into false hungers and phony satisfactions. We can we can perhaps as we go through Sashin and the mind gets a bit clearer. We can start to recognise our own particular false hungers and phony satisfactions, things that we may. may Hunger that we may try to to um, assuage, but then the satisfaction is short-lived. the doubt sensation first arises as a kind of intuition that you do not know, then inquire with your whole being. Who is it? What is it? The Hindu sage Ramana Maharshi used Who am I? What comes into being at birth? Who dies at death? Or better yet, right now, who is hearing this? Who is actually behind it all? Unless that's clear, nothing is clear, is it? For Banke, this question naturally arose from childhood in terms of what, where is my intrinsic bright virtue? The sixth ancestor challenged with the question, what is it that's just come? This this is... um, the exchange in which this question appears is the basis for uh, what is this as a, as a koan, a huado, in, used in, widely in Korea. In more traditional sense terms, what is your original face? Or all things return to one. Where does this one return to? Whatever form it takes, the point is for the question to come to encompass all, beginning with oneself. Further on he says, don't have time for such doubt? How much of your life and your practice is spent avoiding, denying it? Genuine Zen practice naturally awakens, fosters, encourages this doubt and helps you pour yourself completely into it so that it can be truly resolved once and for all. Nothing strange or unnatural. Look and see. After all, great doubt is what self really is. Not inquiring into this is what is really strange and unnatural. Thus, your lingering discontent, your hunger that cannot be assuaged, no matter how many relationships you go into and out of. Thus, your misplaced pride about how many years you've sat in Zazen, or how many koans you've passed. This doubt is the precious gift each one of us was given upon entering the world. Unwrap it and see for yourself. To to see this doubt as a precious gift to see this, this, this self, this sense of separation which is so burdensome to us, which gives rise to, to all our suffering, is at the same time a precious gift. Because it, it gives us the impetus to, to resolve it. Great doubt cannot be an object of awareness. It is much too real and immediate than that. This is a this is a, a helpful point. Of course, it it starts out as an object of awareness, but but ultimately, we we are called on to join with it. actually becomes becomes fused with awareness itself. Mm-hmm. Jeff Shorin's article emphasizes that that this this great doubt Comes out of the separation that is our sense of self. Came across a, a quote a couple of days ago that that somebody had given me uh, from a French philosopher, Emile Chatier. It's quite striking. He says, "Thought is saying no." And it is to itself that thought says no. To think is to say no. We we create our sense of self with our thoughts. And with our thoughts we rebel against reality. We we say no to what is. And this reality is colored, of course, by our thoughts and feelings about it. Uh, No accident that many of you are working on the Koan Mu originally in Chinese Wu which means no or not. this great doubt is 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 a way of engaging with this not of self this this um, you could say this great no that human beings proclaim Sure, continues. The resolution of this great doubt is not a matter of self breaking into and abiding in a state of oneness or breaking out of limits such as space and time. Rather, the very doubt and separation that self is, is broken through. This body-mind fallen off. This term he uses here, this body-mind fallen off, comes from Master Dogen, his, his awakening experience which he characterised as uh, Shinjin Dasuraku, body and mind fallen off. The separation and doubt that self is, is gone. This is where genuine love arises. This is where genuine Zen statements, including the ones I opened with, naturally arise and where another kind of practice naturally begins. He said um, at the beginning of his article, quote, he quoted some, some master's words on their awakening. Um, Luo Han said, Raising my head to look about, I saw that the sun has always been round and ever since then have been joyful. Or a Ling Yun, ever since seeing peach blossoms, I have never doubted again. Or ever since being kept by Master Ma, I have not stopped laughing. Dropping away of this this sense of separation, he says, is where genuine love arises. When when this dropping away of our defences, being being wide open, tender. When Master Dogwin was asked what he had had learned or brought back with him from China to his pilgrimage, he said, a tender heart. Unarmored. She continues. What about this doubt in ordinary life, in relations with others? Won't it interfere? If it's real, you will find it's just what is needed. Relations with others are transformed. Embracing and seeing through our own doubt, we can truly open up, make room, and respond to the real need of the other. We can love the other for who they really are, not for what we need them to be. At peace ourselves, we can truly be with others, supporting, and being supported by them we can love others with all their moral shortcomings with all their neediness, their clinging their fears and insecurities their prejudices and conceits on and on, the list goes on when we've we've faced and seen into all these things in ourselves, then they won't disturb us when we see them in others. We won't recoil. Master Shing. So still talking about the doubt sensation. Ignoring the question, in other words, our questions about birth and death, makes it very difficult to give rise to the doubt sensation. Religions resolve the questions of birth and death through revealed teachings. Chan, on the other hand, does not ask you to believe in anything outside of yourself. It gives you an opportunity to resolve this matter through your own efforts. I think one of the the liberating things about doing Sishin, the way we're doing it, can be just recognizing that right in our homes, right where we are, we have everything we need to engage with the great matter. That it's all right here, all all our, our, our self just as we are. Our surroundings just as they are. Our families just as they are. In the tradition of Master Linji, the way to resolve the issue of birth and death is to practice wado, in other words, koan. We live as if we will be here tomorrow, but we are not even certain we will live past today. For this reason, Da Hui advised the students to think of each day as the last day in their life. At the end of your life, what have you accomplished? Where will you go after death? Asking these questions gives you the urgency needed to practice well. And we live in a time when we are certainly being reminded of the uncertainty of, of, well, the certainty of death and the uncertainty as to the time of death. With the pandemic um, Sweeping across the world repeatedly, passing through and then coming back for another swipe. This is this is something that we we human beings need to face collectively. It's not going to be going away anytime soon. So how do we work with this this fact? Do we wake up in the middle of the night thinking we've perhaps sneezing or having a sore throat and then immediately um, concerned that maybe we, we have COVID? And more than just the disease, our whole way of life. You see all the different disasters all around the world. Fires, floods, upheavals in various countries. I feel full of uncertainty. But if we really face this, then it can be a great goad. Asking these questions, says Master Shingen, gives you the urgency needed to practice well. So that when we are faced with um, Yama, the Lord of Death, we'll be equipped. Kwaito practice can help to settle the mind, but on a more important level, it can help to create the conditions for genuine awakening and resolving the issue of birth and death. So, Dagway tells us to keep the attitude like one who has many debts without any means for paying them. Um, This is is, um, quite a powerful image. If you have debts, of course, you desperately want to resolve um, um, see the, the interest going up and up. It's not that we have to, to um, manufacture some kind of kind of desperate state but rather just to um, own our own um, unease to, to to look into the abyss so to speak and we can see that this is relevant beyond just being a metaphor for our state of mind that as, as a species we humans have Run up huge debts debts to our mother the biosphere the intra- interest compounding and now with the pandemic also um, debts to future generations in the in the huge spend that's that's happening around the world this certainly, um, if we we acknowledge it, can create a lot of unease. So what do we do with that unease? Living in turmoil within ourselves and with others prevents us from enjoying lightness and ease. Da Hui characterizes this as not being able to live and not being able to die, not being able to advance or retreat. It is precisely when we feel stuck like this that we can benefit from Hua Whether in the Chan Hall or in daily life, the method allows us to act with a clear and unperturbed mind. Da Hui takes for granted that practitioners know how to regulate their body and mind at a level that allows them to practice with urgency in harsh conditions. This is an important point that we do have to be able to do this, to have a certain um, uh, ability to regulate body and mind in order to to deal with uh, adverse conditions. It's why we we start off in practice um, with uh, the breath to to develop some um, stability of mind before we un- embark on on other practices that, that demand us as a as a as a um, sort of prerequisite. It is precisely in adverse situations that we can really gain power from the practice. Imagine Dahwe telling us, telling us, after you regulate your mind and body, and you make sure everything is fine with your diet, sleeping dish conditions, and the environment, then you can start to practice. If we could ensure all that before starting to practice, we would never get around to- So his approach is to directly use the method at all times and in all situations. Uh, Just in the last couple of doxans I heard from from various people about the different kinds of adverse conditions they face when um, having to sit at home rather than um, in seclusion. Noise of housemates and neighbors or the busy street outside or all three um, animals wanting to be in on the action. Family members needing us because of um, losses. Sickness. Worries. Leaking roof. So this this um, statement by Master Shingyin Yin can be can be one to recall to mind. It is precisely in adverse situations that we can really gain power from the practice, because in adverse situations we are called upon to go beyond ourselves. to to rise to the occasion. And we don't do this without challenges. Dahui says that to gain power from adversity we should investigate Wu. Now, um, this is the Chinese form of Mu and um, just because most People are used to hearing moo, I'm going to substitute moo when um, there's a woo on the page. Um, and they sometimes not remember to do it, but uh, people can people can just do the substitution there themselves mentally, and or and or put um, substitute what because these these. Um, fundamental columns are, uh have different flavours but they're pointing to the same process Dahui says that to gain power from adversity we should investigate mu there is no need to speculate, no need to explain no knowledge to seek no teachings to understand no quietism to practice No need to wait for enlightenment and no need to wallow in idleness. So just, um, let me read these again and just, um, because they are common kinds of expectations people might have of what's required of them. There's no need to speculate. No need to explain. No knowledge to seek no teachings to understand, no quietism to practice, no need to wait for enlightenment, and no need to wallow in idleness. He advises us to detach from old habits of reasoning, of concerning ourselves with Buddha nature, of seeking heightened experiences. There will be times when the mind becomes clear and we think we have realized something. This is also wrong. Only by negating such old habits can we truly use the Wido method. Just ask the question in all its simplicity. So going, we're required to go beyond subject and object, which all of these things imply. Just ask the question in all its simplicity. If we do this with its sincerity, just ask the question in all its simplicity, we will gradually become more simple ourselves. Mu is not a question that can be answered with philosophy, nor is it a signpost to enlightenment. What is it then? The answer is that a hua has no meaning. However, it can be used to free oneself from deluded thinking. The Hwado itself does not have that ability. Rather, it is the process that frees one from delusion. It's the process. All we have to do as practitioners is enter that process. Fully enter it. My teacher would say many, many times, trust the process. Just trust the process. Understand it as a process. I've asked you not to be concerned with wandering thoughts. Now I also tell you to let go of the myriad things. On the first level, when you become aware of wandering thoughts, just bring forth your huatou If you keep doing this, Eventually the wandering thoughts will settle down and only the method will remain. At that second level, as you make progress, various good and bad experiences, the myriad things, will arise. When they come up, just bind yourself to the guado so that you become it and it becomes you. In time, the myriad things will pass. Just bind yourself to the Wado so that you become it and it becomes you. When sitting, of course you use the Wado. When prostrating or doing walking meditation, you are still using the Huado. Always keep the Wado in front of you, no matter your situation, but always use it in a relaxed way. Um, this this final point is 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 very important um, to to cultivate urgency without strain, without um, tensing up. Um, just a couple of comments on this very same thing um, from other teachers. first one is from Martin Batchelor, and she talk, she's talking here about um, concentration or concentrating on the hua Do, the, the koan, and, and because she's coming from a, a Korean tradition, she's using the example of what is this. Rather than use the term concentration, I prefer to use the word anchoring because we have an unhelpful relationship to concentration. If somebody tells us concentrate, generally we tense up and try to narrow our focus. Anchoring is a better image, because it brings to mind anchoring a boat. We have the anchor, we have the boat, and thanks to the anchor the boat is not going to drift away. The boat isn't stationary, it shifts a little according to the current and wind, but it's not going very far. So we see the anchor, the breath, the body, sound or the question actually helps us to be with our experience. As the aim is to be with our life in this moment in an opal, open and stable way. In the song tradition, we come back to the question, what is this? The crucial aspect of anchoring Whether we're coming back to the breath or back to the question, what is this, is that we come back to the whole experience of this moment. Sometimes when we hear concentration, we think we've got to kind of shut everything out. But it is a question of opening up. Somebody shared this this from um, Rinzai teacher, contemporary Rinzai teacher, Harada Roshi, Um, this is from one of his books, How to Practice Zazen, Uh, he's talking about dealing with haziness in our sitting, and he said the way to avoid this is to open yourself up as much as possible. This opening is the point of Zazen, in fact the mind becomes clearer in Zazen not through forced concentration but through ever-expanding openness. As we liberate our awareness, it becomes larger and more vast. To achieve this openness, you need to relax completely. True, one-pointed attention does not involve concentrating on one thing and shutting everything else out, but rather opening your awareness so that everything is seen clearly. To, to question is to to open. When we, we really don't know, then this, there's nothing in the mind. Martin Batch also says, when we focus on inquiry, our anchoring consists in returning again and again to the question. And to notice that when we're lost in thoughts, we're not totally here in this multi-perspectival experience. Rather, we're caught in just one aspect of it, which often references the past or the future. In returning to the question, we train ourselves to be here, bringing creative awareness, creative engagement to this moment. And we can only do this by accessing our experience in each moment. right where we are, sitting at home, sitting with noise, sitting with pain, sitting with worries, right here, right now, not somewhere else, not some other life, this life. Precisely at the point where your diligence is flagging, you must generate urgency. Where should this urgency come from? It should come from the realization that you have not yet resolved the great matter of birth and death. You do not know your original face before you were born, and you do not know where you will go after you die. In fact, this urgency should come from a sense that you could die tonight, this afternoon, or the next minute. Knowing the imminence of death, you should should earnestly be asking your hua You must let it engulf you, because you know that you arose from emptiness, and when causes and conditions disperse and you die, that also is emptiness. You may ask, what did emptiness and mu have to do with me? If you have no interest in your innate Buddha nature, then it will be difficult to generate Generate the doubt sensation, and without that, it will be very difficult to realize awakening. Therefore, without knowing your origin and your destination, jump wholeheartedly into moo to generate the doubt sensation. This doubt is a kind of wondering, it is an unresolved question that sticks to you. It is not suspicion or skepticism or questioning the truth of something, rather, It is a not knowing that fills your heart with great urgency and you have an earnest need to resolve it. Even as you are unable to resolve the doubt, it grows. This state of not knowing, yet wanting earnestly to resolve it, is called the great ball of doubt, the doubt mess. When you shatter this great ball of doubt, awakening ensues. Therefore, to practice hua means to ask the question with urgency and earnestness so that you may generate the doubt sensation. Unless you practice with earnestness, your mu will simply become entangled with wandering thoughts and your mind will wallow in delusion. To truly investigate chan, you must go beyond merely repeating the hua You must bring forth urgency and earnestness. Having said that, however, you should not practice in a tense manner either. Both body and mind should be relaxed, and therein lies the skill of a genuine practitioner to practice without tension and yet seamlessly. Like water that flows naturally and continuously, there should be no gaps in keeping the wado before yourself. Depending on your strength and stamina, you may be like a small stream or a great river. Either way... The key is to relax and at the same time to have great urgency. There must be earnestness concerning the matter of life and death. This is how you investigate chan." This this image of of um, water that flows naturally is a very helpful one. To, um, and this applies not just to, to koan work but to the breath or the shikantaza as well the sense of of flowing back into the present moment having having a kind of, uh, of um, continuous effort continuous relaxed poised effort we we drop the practice and we flow back the the more that we can do this then the more the, the the distractions will become non-distractions because we won't be bothered by them or if we are bothered by them, not to be bothered by the fact that we're bothered but just to flow back The flowing of a river, river is a, a an image that is used um, in Tibetan Buddhism to describe different um, depths of concentration. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's very or depths of, we of, could say, of um, calming the mind. Sometimes our river is is turbulent. Sometimes there are passages which are calm, and others which are turbulent, like a waterfall sometimes the, the it's like a wide stream with the, the, just ripples, mild ripples on the surface, or even like a great ocean, still and calm. This urgency, we could be, we could understand it as being like water flowing in a river. There is, there is a sense of that water inexorably returning to the great ocean, coming home. Even and even as it is, is far from that great ocean. It is a part of the ocean. We'll stop here and recite the four vows.
1: Thank you.
0: Well, um have came in now. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.